All right, you technophobes, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna pray and go because it's eight thirty and you all have to get time to go to bed. Okay, so um, it's very nice to see all of you. John's got a couple of people in the waiting room. Um, I took the chat down, so here's what I'm gonna have you do. If you if you can politely, John, are you gonna mute everybody? And then if you politely want to say something and open up, um, feel free. But otherwise, you're just gonna let them go. I'm happy to do that. It's a lot easier with this size of group if they just stay muted unless they have a question. Yeah. Because um, I mean, the thing otherwise, is, I have to watch all seven. Yeah, yeah, people yeah. So go ahead and mute tricky. yourself. All right, here we go. My goal. Um, is to lull you to sleep. So you should feel free to drop off any time. And frankly, I've observed this in the past, so it's okay with me. Uh, you know, by the time we're done, you know, the, the point is to get you to rest a bit easier. And if not, then at least to, when you're awake in the middle of the night tonight, uh, use a bit of your free time to pray. And so I've tried to give you a couple of short prayers. Um, the one from Abba Macarius last week. So I, I give you a couple of, of short ones to, to say, you know, as you have the chance. Um, and if you happen to wake tonight and spend some time praying, try not to count the um, prayers or the hours. Just sort of let it go. I promise you the Lord will make it up to you tomorrow. So, uh, you know, just have a run at it. And then secondly, there have been a couple of, you know, we spend a whole year talking about prayer together, but there have been a couple of, questions that have come my way about prayers this week. Let me just um, suggest to you not to expect any miracles. You know, lately in my, in my, uh, in my own prayers, I have the, the image, this image of sort of uh, pushing against large block of granite. Um, and in my, in my own, uh, in my own, in my own prayers, um, I have this, I have this sense of, of prayer being very taxing at the moment. But then um, occasionally, you know, this, this huge block of granite moves half an inch, maybe an inch. And that small thing seems miraculous. So going into this, I don't want you to sort of think to yourselves, well, you know, this will all just sort of shake out. Um, whether it shakes out or not isn't the point. The point is that you know, this is what you do as a Christian, and um, you should use your use your time well. So, um, just to point number one here, and later this uh, this little prayer at the top will make sense. Jesus, here I am. It's Francis. Uh, just this this just a little bit of review from last week. You know, is hope actually possible? Even before you begin to ask that question. Um, I want to try to deflect you just a bit. Before you ask the question, is hope possible? Um, I would actually like you to pray just a little bit first. And from Abba Makaris, very good. Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. That was the first thing we did last week. And then um, to finish last week, you know, we had this little bit uh, at the end from St. Ephraim. So before you, before you try to answer, pray, Lord, as you will and as you know, have mercy. And before you try to answer, just simply say, I'll endure this for Jesus Christ. So from two church fathers, you know, um, we're a little bit mixed up in the, how the rhythm of life works. And sometimes we think that when we demand, uh, we demand answers. 
and that the Lord should pop up and give them to us. That's not always uh, the way the world works. If instead we can start with a bit of humility, remembering that the good the Lord has done to us and how we're totally dependent on him, things will uh, go go much, much easier for us. I spent 90 minutes today uh, in a study group with a seminary professor and a college professor and a couple of all-star pastors, guys who are really sharp. And accidentally, we got to the notion of habitus, that the, perhaps the greatest trouble in the church is that we've lost our habits. And so everything's sort of scattered and given to the whims of the, or problems of the day. And I realize a part of what uh, I'm trying to do here again is to build a habit for you. But I want to build the habit of hope, this notion of being able to welcome the future. And to do that, though, like so many other things, you know, if you, if you want humility, you aim uh, at memory, right? If you want to hit humility, you aim at memory. If you want to hit hope, um, you, you um, look back at what the Lord is doing for you. So is hope possible? Yeah, it is. I mean, we saw that last week um, from the bit we read, Paul Lee Bautin. And I've, oh, I've, gosh, see, the hardest thing for me is it's very hard for me to talk with my hands and also move the hand out at the same time. This is, this is a skill that I didn't learn yet. So here's on the second page, you know, from what we read last week, there's this, um, there are these clues to how hope works. And for me, the most important one last week was proximity. It has to do with location or locatedness or presence or touch. So hope has to do with proximity. Um, today, I also spent about an hour with a fabulous young couple in premarital counseling. And they want to sing this hymn uh, about the Holy Family. So Mary and Joseph and Jesus, which is a great, I mean, it's a great hymn to sing at your, at your, um, wedding but it's not it's not in our book but it starts this way oh house of nazareth the blessed so i'm thinking jesus address one two three thirty first street nazareth right um no oh house of nazareth the blessed fair hostess to the lord then i think to myself wow odd way to start um feminizing your um feminizing your house the church was nurtured at thy breast whoa and so all of a sudden, um, the house is the Blessed Virgin Mother. And I think to myself, this is fabulous, right? It goes, um, you know, it, it goes from Eden to the tabernacle, to the temple, to Mary's belly, to the manger, to the cross, and then to the Eucharist. What do all those things have in common? They all have in common proximity, um, I've observed for you in the past that I notice that Jesus is always most angry when he's at church. So uh, last week, you know, the demons are filling the place. When does he? When does he get really cranky? When he has to overturn the tables and clean out the money changers? Who are those guys? They're the big shots at church. I, the, the closer Jesus gets to church, the angrier it gets. Why? Because the people who are in the church are always screwing it up so badly. He who has ears to hear. Yeah. So um, 
if you think of proximity as the great joy, everything's going to be okay. Now, I've given you a couple of things that we worked with last week. Um, um, well, I suppose I should actually read this. That Jesus approaches us and he mercies and he struggles with us. And then he loves us. And in return, we thank him for that. So that's the humility part. Um, his presence restores order in our lives. Our, you know, the classic definition, since Eden was broken, the classic de definition of sin was that life is disordered, that it's coming apart, um, sort of coming apart at the seams. And then, um, and this is very important again as you go, that his presence doesn't always eliminate pain, but his presence sweetens life. You know, so often we think of we think of our pain as a problem to be solved, our illness as a problem to be solved, our trouble as a promise as a problem to be solved. Um, the, the the mystic Simone Weil said, "You know, sickness isn't a problem to be solved; it's a lesson to be learned." And of course, Saint Paul said the same thing about the thorn in his flesh. So. Gosh, I feel like we've gone a mile already, and I, I didn't mean to go so quickly, but it's very simple. Hope is possible. Hope means it's possible for us to welcome the future. We can welcome the future because Jesus has come to embrace us and lead us on and let us know that everything ends well. So fear dreads the future or despair dreads the future, hope welcomes the future. And um, knowing that our story ends well is what lets you hope. Um, and point number three, the part that you can see, I've given you a couple of um, little definitions. Here's the thing. These are working definitions as we go. So just this notion of worry as being kind of low-level fear, like having a low temperature, bad, like constant, you know, but, but low-grade fever. And fear has this notion that everything will end poorly, that I'm done for. Um, I tried to work with this notion of love as touching mercy to misery last week, and to think of mercy as care for our wounds, right? Now, that was all just kind of, kind of picking up from last week. I know there were some people who weren't here and I wanted to try to pick that up. But I know that some of you also, uh, because I talked to you, um, struggled during the week and had troubles and wondered about things. And frankly, the world is nuts right now and it's nuts for everybody. So it's okay. You can, you can be a bit crazy right now if you want. Um, don't hurt anybody. But, you know, everybody's been under house arrest for a year, so it's been a little bit difficult. But let me say, if you came last week and, you know, you listened well and you tried to put some of this into practice and you were awake in the middle of the night or you were distracted in the middle of the day and you tried to say a few prayers and saying your prayers was like pushing against a block of granite and nothing seemed to go anywhere, you should know that that's exactly what was supposed to happen. Because when you push against the darkness, when you push against evil, evil always pushes back. Um, it, it's, just, it's just the way it is. You know, you remember in, in screw tape letters where C.S. Lewis writes, you know, one devil says to another, if you want to damn a man, leave him alone. 
right? Everybody just sort of stays where they are. Nothing happens. And then those kind of people, he says, are very surprised to wake up one day and find themselves in hell. On the other hand, if you push against the darkness, the darkness is going to push back. But at the end of the day, if you're hopeful, and if you actually have faith um, that the Lord is the Lord and the, de- and the devil is an interloper, that good actually wins over evil and that life actually wins over death, then you don't really have a choice. You just simply carry on. And so I wanted to give you one more example of this. At first, I thought this might be um, a bit too juvenile for you. But then on the other hand, it comes from a, a person who's on the way to sainthood. And then sometimes I think, well, we should probably listen more closely. So um, already halfway through, I have two stories to tell you for bedtime stories, and then we'll be all done. But um, from the Venerable Francis Xavier. And you remember last week, we talked about the 250-year persecution of Christians in Southeast Asia, in Asia in general, but also Southeast Asia. And um, he's among that group. So just um, relax and listen to this. After my liberation, many people said to me, Father, in prison, you must have had a lot of time to pray. It was not as simple as one might think. So maybe you think, oh, if I had more time or if we just clear the decks or if things would just break my way. Yeah. The Lord permitted me to experience all my weakness, my physical and mental fragility. Time passes slowly in prison, particularly in solitary confinement. Imagine a week, a month, two months of silence. There were days I was so worn out by exhaustion and illness that I could not manage to say a single prayer. So I hope that consoles you a bit, right? I mean, here's a guy who's another kind of human being and Some days he finds it difficult to say his prayers. That reminds me of a story. You can always count on a pastor to say something like that. There was an older man named Jim who would go to church every day at noon for just a few minutes, and then he would leave. The sacristan, so the sacristan is the guy who tends the church. The sacristan was very curious about Jim's daily routine, and one day he stopped him to ask, why do you come here every day? I come to pray, Jim answered. That's impossible. What prayer could you say in two minutes? I am an old, ignorant man. I pray to God in my own way. But what do you say? I say, Jesus, here I am. It's Jim. And then I leave. Now, hopefully already you're thinking to yourself, proximity, memorization, location, nearness, healing, listening, joy. After some years, Jim became ill and had to go to the hospital where he was admitted to a ward for the poor. When it seemed that Jim was dying, a priest and a nurse, a religious sister, stood near his bed. The priest asked, Jim, tell us how it is from the day you came to this ward, everything changed for the better. 
How is it that the patients have become happier, more content and friendlier? I don't know. When I could walk around, I would try to visit everyone. I greeted them, talked with them a bit. When I couldn't get out of bed, I called everyone over to me to make them laugh, to make them happy. With Jim, they are always happy. But why are you happy? Well, aren't you happy when you receive a visitor, asked Jim? Of course, but we've never seen anyone come to visit you. When I came here, I asked you for two chairs, one for you, Father, and one was reserved for my guest. What guest, the priest asked. I used to go to church to visit Jesus every day at noon. But when I couldn't do that anymore, Jesus came here. Jesus comes to visit you. What does he say? He says, Jim, here I am. It's Jesus. Before dying, Jim smiled and gestured with his hand toward the chair next to his bed, as if inviting someone to sit down. He smiled for the last time and closed his eyes. When my strength failed and I could not even pray, I repeated, Jesus, here I am, it's Francis. Joy and consolation would come to me and I experienced Jesus responding, Francis, here I am, it's Jesus. So in that you see all the elements um, that we've already sort of engaged, but especially nearness, proximity, location, touch. And then because of that, before dying, Jim smiled and gestured with his hand toward the chair next to his bed, as if inviting someone to sit down. He smiled for the last time and closed his eyes and welcomed the future, right? So to hope um, is to welcome the future. And if you ask the question of how can you welcome the future, you know, the easy answer is you welcome it in proximity to Christ, in nearness. And this is why the Eucharist is the center of the church, right? I can give a bad sermon, but I can't give you a bad Holy Supper. So everything is about the touch. Everything is about the nearness. Everything is about the location of God, John 1, 14, you know, the word became flesh and he lived in a tabernacle among his people. And the tabernacle moved, you know, from Mary's breast and Joseph's house, you know, down to Galilee to be baptized and, you know, up to the temple and down to the cross and out to the tomb and ascended into heaven. So if I could prompt you to think about it in this way, that whenever God is near to you, all is well. And um, not just in your stories, this is, this is the story of scripture as well. Um, this story, I'm going to have to count on you knowing it a little bit because it's a little bit longer than normal. But um, this story brought to mind then uh, the story of Zechariah. Right, and Elizabeth, and it has all the pieces as well. Um, you know this story. This is from Luke 1. But if you just sort of think about, and, and just, just sort of listen to it and just think about, try to think about these things. Try to think about the nearness of God and the welcome of the future. 
just just think about those two things. So so think about proximity and hope and how they fit together. So in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. So these are preacher's kids. My apologies to all of you who grew up in a pastor's household. As you know, this will not go well, at least at first. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. So here are these people, and you often wonder about your prayers. We've done everything. We go, we do, you know, but like these two, they were righteous in the eyes of God, but they were hopeless, at least in terms of having a family, right? So they just go on with normal life. This is where I'm kind of point three, and they get up every day and they put one foot in front of the other, right, from last week, say, I will endure this for Jesus Christ. And Zechariah got up, met, went to work every day. But then one day, Gabriel shows up. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. So this is um, quite a physical moment, actually. These two words, and um, I would suggest that these two things happen to you too when you're afraid. It says, Zechariah was shaken. So it's like, it's as if somebody took him by the shoulders or the lapels and rattled him. And he was panicked. And you're used to this word phobos that we get in English as phobia. But the word actually means, um, the root word here is actually to run away. So this is the kind of fear that makes you chatter, right? You You actually tremble from it. And you actually, if you could, if you can muster the strength, you will run. This is the sort of fear that he had, even though he was a righteous man and a priest and at the altar and doing his duty. This is the sort of fear he had when when Gabriel shows up. I tried to suggest to you last week um, that fear is natural in many cases. Anxiety is often natural. It's a reaction to um, the circumstances of our lives. There are things that make us afraid. It's like if you punch me in the nose, I'll bleed, right? It's just, it's just how things are set up. Um, in the same way, if you, if you hurt me, I grow angry. Um, it's just the way we work. Fear works the same way. You shouldn't be ashamed of it. You just observe it. And like so many other things in life, it's what you do with it. Just by the by here, I give you sort of um, a basic rule for distinguishing spirits, which is demons always console and then they frighten. And angels always frighten and then they console. And one of the quickest ways to sort out good and evil in your own life, this is always when um, I have people who 
um, touch evil or engage the demonic or um, think that they can get away with um, shortcuts that are not divine, but are instead hellish. Um, and often their excuse for that is that the experience is calming or um, everything is going okay, or I seem to be learning something new. That is a tip-off for what is of Satan. So things, demons, console, and then frighten. Angels frighten and then console, basic stuff. It happens here. It happens to Mary when Gabriel shows up for her. It happens regularly in the Old Testament. Just sort of tuck that away for when people use their own experience to sort out um, what's good and evil, or what's righteous and not. So um, you know then how this story goes. He says uh, that his wife will have a child and um, that, that all will be well with him. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayers have been heard. So someday at some point, like you, um, the prayers are heard when it's best for everybody. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you'll call his name John and you'll have joy and gladness. And many people will rejoice at his birth. If you ever see an icon of Zechariah and Elizabeth, she's a pregnant old lady. It's the craziest thing. Um, they stand together as if all is well, but you know, it just doesn't. It doesn't work. You can't. You can't figure it out. Um, maybe the point of that for all of you is that. You know, as you pray, keep going, the habitus. And um, while you may fear for a little while to make a habit of it, really um, is wasted energy. In some ways, worry is a waste of life. Um, if you anxiety grows until it becomes, until that becomes the habit. And the cure for that is, is the proximity. I can't read you the rest of the story, but you know how it goes. Um, it's the beautiful fulfillment of Luke 1. Zechariah starts to question Gabriel. At some point, the angel has enough and says, you won't be able to talk again until your baby's born. Meanwhile, Elizabeth goes to meet Mary. Elizabeth is six months pregnant and Mary less pregnant than that. And as Mary's belly comes close to Elizabeth's belly, so as John the baptizer comes close to Jesus, there is a point where Elizabeth speaks and Mary speaks. How am I so fortunate to meet the mother of my savior? And John the baptizer, at six months old in utero, gives his first prophecy. He leaps in the womb and he greets Jesus, which is a startling um, way of talking about faith and salvation and hope and the future that lies before us. 
And then, of course, the big finish. Um, Elizabeth finally bears her child. Everybody wants to name him Zeke Jr. Um, Zechariah won't have it. And uh, he finally, you know, takes out a whiteboard and a marker and says his name is John. And the moment he does that, the moment he obeys, his tongue is open and he can speak again and all is well. So, um, you know, take these two stories with you, if you will. Um, I, I, got a, I got a bit more bogged down at the beginning. I, I think I tried, you know, my classic sin is to try to do too much. And I'm having a little trouble um, as we go gauging what a half hour will look like. And I don't want to keep you over and I'm already at one. So these are the only things then to take with you. Um, keep going. Keep going, whether your prayers meet your expectations or not. Keep going in hope. Keep going in hope because Jesus is near you. And when Jesus is near you, located with you, or even inside you, or if you'll go to the sermon last week, when Jesus in repentance takes you up into his heart, when Jesus is near you, all is well, no matter what you think about it. doesn't matter really what you think about it. You don't have the perspective to know whether or not the granite is moving. You don't have the perspective to know whether or not the baby will be born. You don't have the perspective for this. And if you're too comforted by your own perspective, you can be sure that that's not on the side of the angels. So it's the habitus of life. Like Jim, you go to church every day, you say your prayers, you live in mercy, you comfort other people, you get up and do it tomorrow, the chips fall where they fall. And the reason you can go forward is because that's what the Lord has asked you to do. And when you go forward on the way of life, if you will, as the Didache says, as you go forward on the way of life, Jesus accompanies you and there's nothing to fear. So um, I do want to just stop because it's nine, but I want to stop actually with this prayer from Thomas Merton, who just had a birthday a few days ago. This is a little longer. It would be a, a bit much to memorize, but I at least give you, um, especially for you who are anxious, just kind of think about this. Now, Thomas Merton, you know, genius of a guy, bit of a mystic, um, died tragically. Some people suspect he was murdered. Um, I just, just pray this, and then if you want to stay in chat, we can. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road in front of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road. 
though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. All right. Um, thanks for coming out. Um, I'll try to get better at this, moving things around and um, staying right within the timeline, but uh, kind of stick with me and uh, kind of stick with each other. You're free to go, but I'm going to click the screen share off. And if you want to stay around and talk to your friends, which is, you know, to actually see your friends' faces is there's hardly anything better than that. So if you want to stay and play, um, we'll keep it open for a little while. That would be kind of nice. So anyway, thanks. Love you all. And um, see you next time.